In John's Gospel, there's a story that many of us may be familiar with. And it's taking place in Jerusalem, a place that I am looking forward to visiting once again in 462 days. Love to have you go with me. John's Gospel, beginning at chapter 7, verse 53, reading through 8, verse 11. Then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. When I first met Donnie, he was probably 24, 25 years old. But to look at him, you would think that he was a junior high school kid. He was so small. He had just the features of a, of a person that um, had left eighth grade. Hmm. He was born into a family that actually was quite famous in Southern California. His parents had been in the fashion industry for years and years and years and were really stinking wealthy. They lived in Beverly Hills, that's where he grew up, and he had two older sisters, both of whom were the kind of women that you might see walking you know, um, in, in fashion shows, models. They were stunning. They were both about five foot nine, five foot ten, and Donnie was all of five foot six. Not only was he the last in his family to be born of the three children, he was quite literally the runt of the litter. And because of that, because he doesn't measure up to the standard of the fashion industry, it was, it was common for the family to leave him out, even when they would have a social gathering at their massive house in Beverly Hills, they would make him stay in his bedroom. He couldn't be seen. He might taint the reputation of the family. So not only was he a, an outcast at school because he was a runt, not only was he an outcast 
at the places that he tried to find employment, which was not always a success for him, but he was an outcast in his family. They had almost nothing to do with him. Once he graduated from, his, from high school, his parents said, it's time for you to leave. You're an embarrassment. We really don't want to have anything to do with you. I met Donnie because his car broke down. And there were a couple of men in our church in Pasadena that uh, were expert mechanics. They taught auto mechanics, one in, in high school and the other in, in junior college there, just down the block from our church. And somehow Donnie found out about it and he brought his AMC Pacer, one of the worst cars ever manufactured in the United States. The door was falling off, needed a new head gasket. <laughs> it was in deplorable shape. But he'd heard rumors that there were a couple of guys at our church that would help people repair their cars. And so he brought his car, and that was the first time I met him as he was describing for for these two mechanics in our church what all was wrong with his car and he asked them how much would it cost and they said well don't worry about it we'll take care of it and he was flabbergasted and it just so happened that it was a wednesday night and on wednesday night at our church uh, we we tried to feed the neighborhood kids because most of them were coming from single families and if they got anything to eat, it was junk food, and it was late at night. And so on Wednesdays, we would provide an absolutely stunning healthy meal of hot dogs and chicken noodle soup. <laughs> yeah, that's my area of expertise. Hmm. And so we invited him to stay, and he did. And then... And then after, after our Wednesday night groups, whatever was going on, we would always play volleyball out in the parking lot. And we invited him to stay for that. Well, here is somebody that had never been on a team ever before. Five foot six, he could barely touch the middle of the net, forget the top of the net. He was that kind of kid, you know, at school that no one ever picked for the team, he was the last one standing against the fence and, and, and they never picked him. And here he was, he was invited to play. He'd never been invited to play. And you know what, Donnie kept coming on Wednesday nights. Because for the first time in his life, he was included. He had been invited. He was participating in the volleyball games. That had never happened to him. And he was about as coordinated as a person with two left hands and one foot. He was terrible. <laughs> but it didn't matter. No one made fun of him. Everyone tried to include him. And you know what? Eventually, Donnie met Jesus. <laughs> Donnie met Jesus. And for the first time in his life, he finally, truly belonged to a family. This woman that we just read about, 
This woman is being brought to Jesus against her will. Sort of like many of you having to come to chapel. <laughs> uh, yeah, right? You don't necessarily want to be here. This woman is being brought to Jesus, not because she wanted to, but because there were men forcing her for their own design, for their own purpose. There's a very good chance that this woman had heard about Jesus before. I mean, for crying out loud, we're in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was not that big of a city. Not, it, it was smaller than, for example, the city of McPherson is three miles by three miles. The, the ancient city of Jerusalem wasn't even that big. She would have heard about Jesus. She would have heard about all of the miraculous things and all of the ways in which he, he was teaching and imploring people to hear the good news. She would have heard about Jesus and how he was stirring things up all the time with the religious authorities. The very people that have just brought her to Jesus. He'd been stirring the pot, making them angry. Which is part of the reason they're bringing her to Jesus, right? And here she is in a desperate spot. What does it say? We caught her in the act of adultery. Which begs the question, was, was she set up? <laughs> was this something that they anticipated for the simple purpose of catching Jesus? They didn't care about her. They did not care about this woman. And here she is in a desperate spot. And we know virtually nothing about her. But is it possible, is it possible that this woman is caught in adultery because this has become her life? Was she a widow? Perhaps. Was she a woman that had been thrown away by a husband that no longer wanted her? And in that culture and in that day, all the husband had to say was, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and she had to leave. Was she a woman who was thrown away? Was she a woman that had been passed around even by some of these religious authorities? What we can say is she was a woman very likely who was abused and was used. And, and certainly in this moment, she is a woman who is ashamed because that's the culture in which she grew up in. She has no hope. She has no security. There's no one there standing up for her. And the irony of this situation is, here's a woman who's been used, and she's being used again by the religious authorities. What's happening to her is, in many ways, what she was probably very tragically used to. They're using her to trap Jesus because you see, the question is, should we stone her? Which, which of course was a, a horrible way to die. But here's the dilemma that the religious authorities are playing out with Jesus. You see, if Jesus says, um, yes, Go ahead and stone her. Well, then he's breaking Roman law, which gives them a reason to accuse him before the Romans so that they can get rid of him. Woohoo! We win! 
But if Jesus says, no, don't stone her, well, now he's breaking the law of Moses, Torah, because that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> and so the religious guys, I see them off in the corner whispering with glee, thinking, we really got him now. We've trapped him. We're successful. You see, it's a lose-lose situation for the woman and for Jesus in the mind of these religious authorities. Hmm. So what do you say, Jesus? Hmm. What do you say? And he bends down and he writes something in the dust. The only thing that's recorded of Jesus actually writing disappears as soon as the wind kicks up. As soon as someone walks across the dirt on that part of the plaza in the temple. The question that I ask myself is this. Would she have come to see Jesus on her own? Would she taken the initiative to find him when he's walking around and teaching in Jerusalem? Would she have come to see Jesus on her own? She's an outcast. So probably not. She's a sinful woman, according to all the standards. And that's actually two strikes against her, sinful and woman, she's ashamed. She has to be thinking, why would I seek this man out? All, all of the categories against her have been checked and double-checked, and in some cases, triple-checked. Why would she go to Jesus? He's just another man who's going to make my life as miserable as all of the other men. Let me ask this question of all of us. What is it that keeps us away from Jesus? You look at the religious authorities and, and they, they weren't shy about approaching Jesus. The problem was they were approaching Jesus with a motivation that was all upside down and backwards and didn't really represent authentic desire to hear and see and participate with Jesus. They're bringing, they're bringing this woman and it represents their whole motivation. They come to Jesus out of arrogance out of pride, because they want to trap him. What keeps us, you and me, what keeps us away from Jesus? For this woman, it was shame. It was the abuse. It was the impossible idea that she could even approach him because she's been an outcast <laughs> standing against the fence that no one ever chose 
unless they wanted to use her and abuse her. I don't think Donnie would have ever met Jesus if it hadn't been for that really stupid car of his needing repair. <laughs> I mean, I hear it all the time when people find out. Um, I, I was a bowling alley one time, and um, and the four guys next next to our party were as drunk as skunks and swearing like sailors. No offense to sailors, but... <laughs> and of course, their scores were just <laughs> miserable. But one of the guys, and they were very friendly, very friendly drunks. And one of them asked me, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and he said, oh, shit, I'm so sorry that we're swearing. I said, doesn't bother me. I've heard it before. <laughs> but you see people don't even want to go to church because they tell me all the time if I walk in I'm afraid the roof will fall in on me right because God's out to get me Donnie would never have met Jesus if it weren't for that stupid car It needed repair. In reality, he met Jesus. And his life began to be repaired. When we buried him, he died when he was 27. When we buried him, I did the funeral. And uh, his fashionista family were there. They each drove their, well, his mother and father came in the same car. But his two sisters drove their absolutely stunning cars. Ferrari, Lamborghini. Bentley, mom and dad. They'd never had time for him while he was alive. He was an outcast who met Jesus. What keeps us away from Jesus? How ironic that Jesus said, to the religious leaders, whoever's without sin, throw the first stone. And the only person, the only person in this story that could have thrown the first stone was Jesus. He's the only person who was without sin. He was the only person who wasn't going to use and abuse this woman like everyone else had. And he certainly was not going to condemn her. In fact, the two of them are just left there. And he asks the question, has no one condemned you? And she says, no. He says, neither do I. 
Go and leave your life of sin. Go and recognize that you are different because you've met me. Go and realize that I have welcomed you and the repair that you need has already begun. You see, there's all sorts of reasons for us to avoid Jesus. We're not good enough. We've been traumatized. We're ashamed. We're sinful. The roof of the church is going to fall on my head. Jesus says, I welcome you. I don't condemn you. But I'll change your life. And the healing can begin. May that be true for all of us. May we run to Jesus, not avoid him. Amen.